Right, sacred pathways is finding your child's worship style. This is not something we talk about a lot. It's something that I learned later in life. I mean, I'm almost 40, so. <laughs> it's something that I learned a few years ago and really transformed the way that I thought about following God in a lot of ways, in good ways. So we want our kids to grow a faith to call their own. And there's one more idea I just want to run past you before we can finish this course. So it's really a bonus, something that I think that can help. But if you already have enough from the rest of the content, you can leave this one for now. So to introduce it, I want to tell you a story. So once there was a daddy with nine children. Yep, nine. Each Saturday, daddy chose one child for a special date night. Over the years, each child got to spend many date nights with their daddy, getting to know him. One Friday night, a fight broke out in the home. The topic? Daddy's favorite thing to do. Eli said daddy's favorite thing to do was go for a walk around the park, feed the ducks, and eat chocolate ice cream. Exactly in that order. Claire said daddy's favorite thing to do was go for a hike in the forest or on the beach. Nathan said daddy's favorite thing to do was play at the beach, building sandcastles, covering himself with mud, and washing it off in the water. Nikki said David, daddy's favorite thing to do was to volunteer at the animal shelter. Maria said daddy's favorite thing to do was to lead the anti-bullying campaign for the community. Mark said daddy's favorite thing to do was to read a good book and talk about it. Hallie said daddy's favorite thing to do was to have a dance party in the van. Silas said daddy's favorite thing to do was to go for a quiet walk. And little Anaya said daddy's favorite thing to do was to play video games. Each child tried to convince their siblings that they were right. Eli, Claire, and Silas joined efforts for a bit because they knew Daddy liked to walk, best of all. Anaya and Mark teamed up because they knew Daddy liked books the best. Nikki and Maria fought against everyone because they knew Daddy most loved to help others. But eventually, even those teams fell apart because they just couldn't agree. After what felt like hours, their Daddy heard the hubbub and came to investigate. He wiped away tears and calmed down angry bodies, settling them all on the floor. The kids glared at each other. Each of them knew what Daddy liked best and that everyone else was wrong. Maria explained the fight, even though she had to hush her siblings often just to get through the story. Daddy's eyes crinkled as she talked. It almost looked like he might be trying not to laugh. But Daddy wouldn't laugh at them, would he? When Maria finished the story, Daddy pulled the kids close to him. Each tried to elbow in closer to Daddy, and he waited patiently until they all sat quietly. My beautiful, unique, darling children, he began, you are all right. Mark sat a little straighter. Daddy, that's impossible. We can't all be right. Daddy winked at him. But you can. You see, when I take you out on Saturday nights, I know what you love best. You love to study books and learn new things and talk about them. And I love you. So when we're together, we study books and learn new things and talk about them. That brings me joy. Every kid looked incredibly confused. Only Mark was brave enough to ask the question, So your favorite thing to do is be with me? Daddy nodded. Yes, and with Anias, Anaya and Silas and Hallie and all your brothers and sisters. I love being with you. You are all different and unique, so I love being with you in a different and unique way. When I'm with Nathan, who likes to taste and smell and feel everything, he stopped to pull Nathan's fingers out of his mouth, we taste and smell and feel everything together, and that brings me joy. Little Anaya asked, So, Daddy, what is your favorite thing to do? My favorite thing to do is to be with you. 
Each child sat in silence until the weight of his words sank into their hearts. Daddy's favorite thing to do was to be with them? Doing the things they liked to do? Hallie was the first to jump up and leap on Daddy. I love you, Daddy, she shouted. All the other kids joined in. In a big, enormous dog pile of children and daddy and love yous and hugs, every child felt loved and known and knew how to love their daddy back. And daddy smiled. In this story, we saw nine different children connecting with their dad in nine different ways. The dad knew his kids were created uniquely, so he sought out ways to spend time with them and show his love to them in ways they were uniquely created to receive. He intentionally connected with each child in a way they knew, or he knew, they would love. Our Heavenly Daddy is the same way. He longs to touch your life and your child's life in a meaningful way, but he does it in unique ways, and the way we respond to his love will also be unique. This is your spiritual temperament. A spiritual temperament is a bit like a love language, but it relates to your relationship with God instead of with people. Another way to think of it is as worship styles instead of learning styles. In his book, Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas discusses these temperaments. He says that Christians have different and acceptable ways of demonstrating their love for God, which are their sacred pathways. So the pathways fit into nine general categories. Traditionalist, naturalist, sensate, caregiver, activist, intellectual, enthusiast, ascetic, and com contemplative. So here's how they might look in friends and kids. My little friend Amy could pray for hours. In fact, it was a joke in her house that if it was Amy's turn to pray before the meal, it would get cold before she finished praying. Frank doesn't like praying, but he serves with the biggest heart. When we set up for the Christmas community dinner, he didn't complain once, and he plugged away at setting up chairs and centerpieces until it was done and then asked for more jobs. Frank also loves to dance to worship songs, but only when no one is looking. Ethan has a deep heart for those who are hurting to the extent that he started his own organization called Creative Kids for Compassion. For several years, he's been passionate about getting clean water to those who have no access. And a while back, we did a fundraiser through Compassion Canada that brought in $4,000 and funded three rainwater collection systems. Anna worshipfully dances whenever we sing songs in our children's ministry. Nick always knows every answer in Sunday school. Ask him a Bible question and he'll tell you the answer. This is just a small sample of the kids I know and how they connect with God in their own unique ways. While it can appear that our children aren't engaging in church or Sunday school or reading the Bible, it's possible we're just actually not, we need to tweak the way that we approach their faith formation. So this dilemma is illustrated best through the classic example of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in a piece of wood. Except that instead of the square peg being unusual, it's one of just many that doesn't fit into the round hole. There are also star-shaped pegs and moon-shaped pegs and triangular pegs and even pegs that are circular, but one is cone-shaped and one is a cylinder. We have to find the right hole for each peg. We use the same piece of wood. We still want to connect our kids with the same Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but for each child, we might need to find a different access point. If we keep trying to shove a square peg into a round hole, one of two things will happen. Number one, the square peg might peg might rebel. The child will rebel. They'll walk away from God because that religion stuff doesn't work for me. Two, the square peg will develop rounded corners. The child will feel stuffed into a form of worship where they feel barely connected to God. They may eventually rebel as well, or they might just sit, sit there, never truly experiencing a relationship with Christ. All because we didn't bother looking for a square hole. I'm not sure which is worse, outright rejection of God or faith that has no impact on their life. Both are undesired. 
As we know, Jesus is the only way to God, but he meets us on the road and he walks our own path with us, whatever that might be. I'm not advocating for different ways to God. It's all through Christ. But in fact, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus portray each of the nine sacred pathways. He is our example in following God. But because we aren't, you know, perfectly whole, as he is perfectly whole, we're going to find it harder to find balance among the various pathways. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. I'm sure you've heard that one before. We take this to mean that <clears throat> if we teach them to read the Bible and pray, we will plop them on a faith path that guides them through life. However, we know this isn't true. You can turn to almost any older adult in the church and hear a story of a child walking away from faith. This is not because they didn't try to pass on their faith. But if an adult or child is created one way and we only ever feed them in another way, they're going to grow up craving something they don't understand. They might go out into the world to find out what they could have found in God if we had only just shown them how. Christian children don't come off an assembly line. There's no sure way to make your child be a Christian. However, you can start your child off in the way they should go, which might not look exactly the way you went. That's why we need to partner with God and pay attention to our kids. For example, learning apologetics might be really healthy for some kids, but for others it might have a negligible effect on your child's faith. Maybe instead of apologetics, your child needs beauty and music to deepen his faith. Or maybe your tradition centers on exuberant acts of worship. Maybe you're in a very uh, charismatic tradition, but your child is a contemplative person who connects with God better while sitting and staring at a candle. <laughs> or an activist who feels the presence of God most strongly while standing up against the school bully. We might ask, what about personal devotions? Well, when our kids ask faith questions, the typical Sunday school answer is read your Bible and pray, right? And in fact, that's what we focused on until now because they're important. However, prescribing just a generic personal quiet time can actually leave a lot of the other pathways untouched. Many people have unhelpful personal devotions or have just abandoned them altogether because they felt like they couldn't connect with God through personal devotions, through quiet time. They felt like they were missing something in that simplistic prescription, and they were. <clears throat> Our children might feel the same way. Perhaps at times you felt the same way. This isn't to say that we shouldn't teach our kids to read the Bible and pray. Obviously, I believe we should. But to do so is like packing a toolbox with only a hammer and a screwdriver. There are many more tools in our faith toolbox. Like a toolbox with a hammer and a screwdriver and a drill and a saw, sacred pathways can remind us there are many tools at our disposal. They are more officially called spiritual disciplines. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Each spiritual discipline is really just a different way to worship God. So let me give you an example. I grew up in a fairly intellectual church that had a really high emphasis on personal quiet time. And the first time I attended an enthusiast church, I had never seen people worship with their hands up before. It was a whole new experience. And I remember going there and just lifting up my hands just a little bit. In fact, like they were still down by my side, but I had them palm up. But I was trembling. I had never experienced that before. My home church had thousands of people in it, and I didn't recall seeing anyone worship like that before. I felt like the psalmist did in Psalm 42 verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. It was incredible. Conversely, I have a friend that never felt at home in an enthusiast church where, you know, in a very charismatic church, but she felt like she finally came home when she stepped into a very liturgical church. 
we can actually see this shift in our modern evangelical culture. For decades, maybe even centuries, the evangelical church has actually rejected the liturgical aspects of the Catholic, Anglican, the Lutheran churches. But that means that entire generations of traditionalists, God creating them, had created them this way as a traditionalist to connect with him through um, routines and rituals, through liturgy. And they've been starved for a true connection with Jesus. So you probably notice there's a resurgence of interest in these traditional faith-building things like um, Advent and Lent and Seder meals. You've heard me talking about these things because I think they're beautiful things that um, we don't have to let just one tradition have. I think that we can learn to value those and experience those things as well. And they can bring a lot of meaning, especially since we didn't. a lot of us didn't experience those growing up. Now, as parents, we have the chance to understand the depth that the sacred pathways bring to our faith. Our children might lean toward a pathway we didn't expect. If we're not paying attention, they could grow up starving to know God because we're not feeding them in a way their souls can digest. God created our children different, and we have to recognize their uniqueness in each of them. So there are some young adults who will keep searching for God, even if they don't connect with him much as a child. But a lot of people have given up because they just never found a way to build that deeper relationship with God. Part of it might be the church that they grew up in wasn't the way that they were wired. You know, if they grew up in a traditional church, but they're wired as an enthusiast or the other way around. Or they grew up in a really sensory church, but they're more of a ascetic or ascetic. And they would really like to just kind of have bare walls and that's how they worship best. That can really be hard for a lot of people. And if they don't know what they're missing, where are they going to go find that? So our job as parents is to introduce our kids to each of these pathways so they know they belong somewhere. In Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas explains, the goal here is not self-actualization or spiritual self-absorption, but to feed our souls so we can know God in a new way and love him with every cell of our being and then express that love by reaching out to others. And in the end, isn't that what we want for our kids? We want them to know how to connect with God in ways that feed their souls. We want them to love God with every cell of their being and learn to express that love by reaching out to others. So if you're hearing this and have started to think, oh, that sounds like a lot of work, you're not alone. But I want to show you that there's always hope. It's not as much work as you think. I believe that helping our kids connect with God in their unique sacred pathway is mostly a matter of paying attention to our kids which you're probably already doing. So if this intrigues you, I'm not gonna teach through all the different sacred pathways and how they're presenting kids here, but I have a full ebook for you. In the ebook, there's an assessment that you can use on your child, a description of what each sacred pathway might look like in a child, and activities you can use with your kids based on each sacred pathway. So that's it. We're at the end of the flourishing stage. You made it. Don't forget to leave your golden nugget for this lesson, then, if you're ready for a mind-blowing adventure with God, you can dive into sacred pathways. Bye.